0: Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here.
1: Louisa Sear has dedicated her life to the practice and teaching of yoga. She is passionate in the inquiry to find one's true nature and freedom. In her teaching, Louisa encourages the understanding and acceptance of life, finding the teacher within, and acknowledging the divine in all. Louisa has been teaching yoga for over 35 years and has had a committed yoga sadhana practice for over 38 years. She teaches the principles of tantric advaita philosophy and specializes in self-inquiry, therapeutic yoga, Ayurveda lifestyle, mindful vinyasa, Asana, pranayama, and meditation. Louisa is the lead teacher on the yoga arts teacher trainings, retreats, and workshops in Bali and around the globe. Louisa encourages her students to develop inwardly by diving deeply into oneself to awaken through mindful, conscious practice, both on and off the mat. And with that, thank you so much, Louisa, for your time. Welcome to the podcast. It's so nice to uh, both see
2: and speak with you. Great thanks, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Can we uh begin by delving into your path and your story, which I'm sure there's so many elements to it, but um I must say that there's always been uh, a sense of humility that I've picked up in everything that you do, um, and yet, You've been doing this for such a long time. And essentially, I think, particularly for me here in Australia, probably paved the way and really laid a foundation for the yoga community decades ago. So I would love to know how that unraveled because back then not everybody was really doing yoga. So would you like to share that?
2: Sure, yeah, that's true. It wasn't um, like it is now. And yeah, so basically, Um, I grew up in uh, southern Sydney in the Shire and I was the last of six children and how the story goes (laughs) is that um, my mother which I can't even imagine having six children because it's a job as we know even having one child and I'm I'm a no child (laughs) person so it's a big job yeah so She was, I think she went through a period where she was really um, stressed and a bit sort of overwhelmed with looking after six young children. And with that sort of stress and, um, yeah, anxiety and different things that were arising for her, she was looking for something to alleviate that. Yeah. So she found yoga. And so that was also fortunate for us because as young children, Um, we were carried along with her to the yoga classes. So we somehow got introduced um, very early on as children and just having that around us. And yeah. And then when we were old enough, um, we started to go ourselves and we were lucky, which was also quite unusual and quite rare then um, that we had a little yoga studio right in our suburb of Karingba. Yeah. And it was um, an integral yoga studio with a teacher called David Das, and he was a devotee of Sat Chidananda. Um, yeah. And I think it was just called Integral Yoga Studio. But yeah, we used to go along when I was, I remember an adolescent when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, Um Yeah, I would go to his studio and learn the yoga. And I still even, I went through my um, (laughs) papers some time ago, actually, when I was in Australia, I was throwing some things out and I still have these like handouts from his class, yeah, back then, which is in the 70s. Yeah, so, you know, all the little stick figures of all the postures and the pranayama and all those things. Anyway, so that was my introduction, which was yeah it's really beneficial and interestingly enough maybe i'm gonna sort of jumping in and off the subject here but interesting enough um i ended up meeting satchitananda when i was 21 and uh we were actually down in victoria going to some festival and he had been giving a talk in melbourne because he had a community there for some time i think it was called ontos community and yeah, so we went to his talk, and then everybody at the end of the talk was going up and just you know thanking the Guruji for his talk, and so I did the same. I sort of lined up, and yeah, so we met and we had like a brief moment because there was many people in the line, and he was just asking me you know about my life and myself, and I had my first experience of Shaktipat with him and even thinking about it now I get sort of quite emotional because yeah it was I it was a definitely a, um, a significant and a profound moment on my path of experiencing that transmission of energy or transmission of, of whatever you'd like to call it a prana of love that Um, I've experienced only a few times or been lucky enough to experience. And yeah, so I experienced that with him, interestingly, um, after having my introduction with going as an adolescent to one of his um, disciples or students. Yeah. So from then, what happened? (laughs) Um, I think I left home at the age of 17 and I ended up in Western Australia and yeah, that was also um, after that time that I met um, Satchidananda, And basically yoga became um, cemented then in my life. Like when I went as an adolescent, I was going, but it was much more sort of relaxed and casual. And then it became my life, basically. Um, and that's, I found another teacher when I was in Perth and I started um, in terms of the asana tradition i t- i started ayunga yoga also then in terms of the asana and yeah it just became everything i never sort of thought of, of, of teaching or this or that but it was just somehow rolled out in front of me if you know what i mean like my path um that just manifested that you know by the time i was 21 i started teaching um yeah and I guess that's sort of like a brief a brief story but that was sort of the pathway yeah I began when I was young I, I left home and I got introduced to these teachers and it just yeah that was that was it it was it was just my everything because it just made so much sense in terms of what the The foundation and the essence of yoga in terms of life was yeah so it wasn't like it was separate from my life but then it was just it was my life embracing my life yeah and everything that came with that.
1: So um as you just mentioned you found your Iyengar teacher in Western Australia but am I correct like you had a background in Ashtanga as well did that then develop after that and how did that weave into what you were teaching at the time?
2: Yes it did, Um, so basically I had a meditation practice from that early age so that was sort of not separate but it wasn't um, meaning that it wasn't in the tradition of the asana that I was teaching as such, the pranayama was but my meditation was always there. But with the Ayinga yoga, um, so I was practicing that. I also apprenticed for some time with um, Eve Grabowski in Sydney. For many years at the Sydney Yoga Centre over time, even though I was living away, I would come down to Sydney and do three month stints. And there I met um, my dear old friend um, Simon Borg olivia <laughs> who um said to me one day, Oh hey, let's go and try this class in um, Bondi. <laughs> when Bondi or Bronte, I can't remember. And um so off we went, it was to an Ashtanga class. And it was with a teacher then called Robert Lucas, um, who maybe many haven't heard of because he was really just a quite a hermit type of a quiet (laughs) chap that wasn't really out there um, in the yoga world as such, putting himself out there. But anyway, we went to his class and then being, I don't know, 21 years or 22 years old at the time, I loved it. You know, it was very physical and, and I thought, Oh, great. So, so yeah, so I also started practicing that, but I had the Iyengar Foundation already, so which I felt very fortunate about because that gave me a lot of good understanding in terms of alignment and structure. Um, which in the early days the Ashtanga didn't have so much; it was very much sort of Indian style then. Now it's changed because, you know, everybody has um, such a, you know, wealth of knowledge coming from all different areas that you know everyone has. Um, get, got that so yeah i got that ashtanga sort of um inspiration and then started practicing and went to mysore also um yeah as well as visiting the ayinga institute but so yeah so i was sort of doing both um at the same time uh, which meant i've always had that mindset i've allowed myself to sort of be open to the different paths and not being, uh, I guess, not being dogmatic in one path, but getting the the benefit and the jewels from from what is to offer. At the same time, um, definitely being dedicated to the particular tools, if that makes sense.
1: I suppose that um, provides such great value in terms of teaching because you're teaching yeah. so many p- different people and. Everybody has different needs and give, having that more broad experience, if you will, and exposure is just giving you, as you said, more jewels, more insight into, you know, being able to serve people, uh, perhaps more effectively, maybe. Um, but I'm interested to know, so as you're teaching, how did you go from teaching to offering your very infamous nine-month teacher training in Byron Bay? <laughs> uh
2: uh-huh actually so how that came about was yes i was teaching regularly and i guess in those days too i was teaching a lot of like one month intensive courses and it would either be in a Shtanga intensive or even a more iinga focused intensive early morning courses and so at the time some students basically came to me and they said oh look you know we really want to train with you yeah and the only thing that was pretty much happening at that time and also my own experience was doing the apprenticeship type of training where you apprentice with the teacher which i think is also very valuable and a really great way to learn and that's also how i learned and and i know it's still you know done that way these days and definitely traditionally in india as well so but for myself at that time um, I love to travel still, and I, you know, loved going to India and, you know, continuing my own study and, just, I guess at the at young age still, and I think at that time when I was asked these questions, I was maybe twenty nine or thirty. And in my own mind, the benefits that I found myself from d- going deep into sadhana practice and deep into like a, a tapas type of you know practice was doing intensive type of training yeah and I had um, done that myself by you know going to India and spending like three months in ashram and doing you know intensives meditation and practice as such and I found an incredible expediation in my understanding and my growth and my, you know, expansion of, of mind, etc. So I thought, oh, I'd really like to offer something like that, you know, that would be intensive, you know, and the benefits of doing something like that. And so that's when I came up with the idea of the nine month full-time teacher training. And I thought, yeah, so instead of me apprenticing someone for three years, um, I could do this nine-month teacher training. So for me at that time, you know, it seemed a lot in some ways a little bit less commitment or responsibility for myself to commit to someone for three years than to do like a nine-month full-time course plus getting the incredible benefit of actually a more intensive um, schedule being continuously every day for three months and not just, you know, one class a day or two classes a day but it's like all day every day. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how it came about. And yeah, so the yoga arts nine month teacher training was born and that was in 1994, that the first one happened.
1: Yeah. Wow. And now you are obviously still doing, well, not nine month programs, but incredible trainings. And, you know, I, I feel very, very fortunate to, um, to have done my level two training with yoga arts. It was a really, really beautiful, uh, it felt like such a well-balanced, um, enriching like holistic experience particularly in terms of a lot of the you know training that's out there today um, and I distinctly recall so that was in 2013 and I recall having come to Bali to do the training with you guys and that was before you would built the beautiful space that yeah. you have now the Shala and I was I was pretty burnt out and I had come off the back of teaching um like 30 to 33 classes a week, which was not intended to be long-term. I was actually (laughs) helping a friend uh, take over her studio while she was overseas training alongside my own classes. And I was, yeah, really burnt out. And I distinctly um, recall hearing you speak about how your own process of, yes, experiencing the benefits and the beauty of a more dynamic asana-based practice, but I think you said to me something along the lines of, Amy, when you get to my age, it really doesn't matter so much anymore, you know, like it's not everything, um, you know, pushing the body so much. Uh, I think I was having a lot of um, back pain and and whatnot. And that really stuck with me. So I'm curious to know, you know, what does your practice look like now, given, you know, you've been doing this since you were so young, which is incredible and very rare. Yeah. What does your practice look like at the moment?
2: So basically um, my practice, just in simple practice, which involves you know, some pranayama and meditation and asana and it's anything from an hour up to two hours maximum a day. Like when I say, and that's varied, like, you know, depending on what's going on. So sometimes it might be an hour, an hour and a half, sometimes two, but often it's more like an hour and a half. Yeah. And my asana practice is definitely, um, I call it, it's simply doing a practice for what my everyday needs are, you know, and what, and that might change from, you know, every day. So knowing what my needs are and it's a simple practice. I'm definitely not doing the fancy postures that I once did, which, you know, I enjoyed to do at the time. And then, you know, I just got at the point where, ah, you know, it just wasn't desired or, or needed um, to do that. And, and as we know, at the end of the day, you know yoga's not about that and um but we definitely you know we get this incredible physiological benefit um with moving our bodies um and the most important is that we do it intelligently and with wisdom and and this is yeah this is important so yeah i i still do yeah just a simple you know asana practice which works you know all the parts of the body and um Yeah, the simple pranayama practices also and then always some meditation. Yeah, we sort of wake up in the morning. My partner and I, we practice together and um, we are very fortunate here in beautiful Bali. And yeah, we sort of, you know, get up early and that's our our daily routine.
1: I guess the reality very much for many people is that asana is the doorway for most people into yoga, but we have to kind of remind ourselves that it's not the actual destination but perhaps that we need to i guess figure that out in our own way in our own yeah. time you know um and as you as you reflect upon your path um you know who would you say who do you feel would has been or is the most influential teacher or mentor just or person that yeah has really shaped you along this journey
2: i guess um some of these teachers or one of them that i mentioned before the swami satchitananda because even though that was a a, like a transmission of, of energy so to speak but most of my most of my teachers that i now feel that i could say that have influenced me most most of them have left their body um now and one, I guess, comes to mind, um, which has been very influential, is um which is an Advaita uh, teacher. Yeah, and he's very famous for his book, I Am That. Yeah. And so just in terms of this spiritual yogic philosophy, yeah, and um, so these have been very influential for me. Like when it comes to the... I've had so many teachers, it's really hard to sort of not mention so many people mm. living and not living. Um, but I guess it's it's the teachings that just go straight to the point, straight to the heart um, of why we're doing what we're doing and why we're doing these practices and these tools and, and all of the tools. And I mean also, you know, the asana because the asana, um, Yes, we know that, you know, it's, it's a very physical aspect of, um, of yoga and maybe we could say well, like a more grosser form of the sadhana tools, but it all depends on one's state of mind with which one does it. And so all of the tools are important, but it's, the, it's what these tools are you know, directing us, you know, what direction that they're moving us in, you know, what they're allowing us to see, you know, um, is the important thing, yeah? So the teachers that have most influenced me in that way is for the ones that have, you know, continually reminded me of that. And, And I guess a lot of the teachers that speak specifically about being here now, yeah, being present, and you know, we all have heard of that, and it can sound even a little bit cliche, and one of them, one of the, um, the beautiful books that also influenced me a long time ago was the Be Here Now by Baba Hari Ram Das, who um, actually recently has sort of um, left his body, uh, but that, you know, and it was sort of, so really, this was, I think, in my teens, I read that book, and, but to this day, You know, this is really, you know, you read the Patanjali suttas, you read a lot of the scriptures, everything comes back to being awake and being present and allowing the mind to be empty so we can be absolutely here now. And all of these tools are doing that, yeah? And so... I've got a lot from the teachers teaching Advaita and also the Tantric traditions, um, because also in the essence of their traditions, absolutely. It's just a continually coming back to it's an embracing the world, being in the world, but being absolutely present, you know, with whatever it is that we do on a day to day level, simply. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question in much depth. <laughs> no, I just, you know, but, um, so many so many all of these beautiful teachers and so many of these you know there's millions of books out there you know on this subject um talking about this and in so many different ways it's being expressed in in different vocabulary you know and not to get confused and not to misinterpret um teachings um because we all get attracted and we listen to this um you know these words or we read this book and saying in different ways, but it comes back to the same thing. And that's why I I find that the beauty of the simplicity of really the essence of these teachings, all saying the same thing and being really simple, actually. Very, very simple. Um, And something that, yeah, that I love about um, the yogic practices is that if you're willing to look and see and with an intention, do these practices, that they will show you and they will reveal um, the purity of what they are there for and giving us, yeah.
1: So speaking of teaching, you've obviously trained many teachers. You're essentially a teacher's teacher and um, you've been doing it for a long time, both in the Australian community, but now very much in a global way being based in Bali. So and there's obviously a lot more yoga teachers now, and more and more, um, which is wonderful because there's still plenty of people out there that haven't found yoga yet. Yeah. What do you feel uh, is the biggest misconception, or one one of the misconceptions around teaching yoga? Ah. Uh.
2: Maybe I would say, I don't know if it um, would be the terminology of misconception. May put that, but that—that I think people get a little bit, um, uh, a little bit, an illusion of their idea of teaching. Yeah, maybe that's what—that's the word I'm trying to look for. They get an idea of it being somewhat glamorous. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, and I say that in our world of, you know, sensationalism and media, social media, marketing, social media, marketing, all of those things, it gets glamorized. Yeah. And so, so that is, I guess, a real misconception. And because it's so far from that, it's absolutely the opposite of that. Um, And I guess it can be unfortunate that People are running on that, if you know what I mean, that sort of maybe moving them in direction of like, oh, yeah, wow, I want to be a yoga teacher. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, hopefully no matter the same reasons of why people maybe start practicing yoga, maybe the same reason of maybe why they'll start teaching, but hopefully that illusion gets, you know, shattered or broken, you know, sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I would say that that's, yeah, definitely one of the biggest misconceptions, because it's, um, yeah, it's an incredibly humbling experience, you know, to put yourself in the position of a teacher. And I think the qualities of a teacher, which is so important to have, is one, the the dedication and the passion. For what it is, yeah, for that which you're teaching to people, having that passion um, for you to be able to you know share that to others that's that's so important, and that definitely um I think is also lacking because of this glamorization, so people go into it for so many different reasons it's just like it's just a new career um yeah it just looks cool you know it's a really cool job you know wow you know i see people they seem to be you know spending all this incredible time in these beautiful locations around the world doing retreats i want to do that job it looks like the amazing job and of course it is an amazing job as well um but yes it's you know there's so much more more to it it's really it it puts you on the line teaching, you know, this thing that you have a passion about. It's like, you know, you've got to show up. You've got to really stand sort of strong in your own integrity for, for what it is that, you know, you stand for in terms of, you know, teaching yoga and, and the beautiful aspect of that is so on a daily basis as well, obviously you've got your daily practice, but somehow, you know, you getting a strong mirror, you know, to look at yourself. And, and the essence of, of these yoga teachings is absolutely self-understanding and self-knowledge. You know, you, you have to, you know, be looking. You have to turn your gaze inward to awaken, you know, as an individual to be able to move into that state of freedom, which the yoga is, um, you know, moving us towards in terms of moksha. Yeah. <sighs> yeah so it's
1: it's a big I guess it's a big energy exchange teaching yoga and not a lot of people realize that you know and it's not something that's going to bring you riches either and um I mean maybe for one percent of the teaching population I don't know for a handful (laughs) but you know and um it was interesting once I became a mom I had this realization when I couldn't go back to teaching as many classes as what I had previously and I was teaching a lot less still but um I came to realize that I was okay with that because I I guess I had this kind of conversation with myself and thought, if I have a sincere desire to be doing this forever, it's not like a, a quick moment of fame and glory, but there's a sincere undertone of just like this is what I literally want to share to, to the day I die. There's no hurry and there's no need to identify with um, what it's supposed to look like and the world today because that's going to change it'll be really interesting I think to see who is still teaching yoga maybe in 20 years 30 years um yeah but but in terms of teacher trainings and again you know I'm a little biased because I absolutely love the yoga arts training you know, there were so many elements that were brought in. Um, there was a rich element of Ayurveda and the like the sadhana practice that we had with the, the week of silence. And I really appreciated you teaching us how to work really effectively with people one on one from that therapeutic perspective. And that's actually stayed with me to this day with working with people one on one and so, you know, what are your thoughts for those listening out there if they are contemplating doing a training? Like what are the the real important elements that they they should be looking for in a training, do you think?
2: Yeah, definitely looking for on the real practical level, like if you want to be a teacher, I really feel that which you sort of briefly mentioned before, we want to be teaching yoga to Everybody, meaning that is accessible to everybody. It's just not accessible to the young and to the fit or to whatever. We need to have tools to be able to teach anyone who, pretty much, of course, anyone that work, walks into your your class, so to speak. Of course, we can specialize in different areas, whether yoga therapy and be much more specific for um, you know individuals that need special attention. But yes, we need tools to attract everyone. So the training, I feel, if you're looking for one in terms of what their uh, schedule is and their modules in the training, I think to be, to be able to cover that, it can't be too, I know there's some trainings out there. I think that they have their own, uh, like they, they model a little bit more. um, How can I say? What's the word? A little bit like their franchise. A little bit like maybe their own sequence or something like that. And I personally feel that even when it comes to asana, you need need to really get a good overall um, knowledge of all the asana bases in the ways that you can teach, yeah? Um, That's really important, Yeah, to be able to help people individually. You know, if you really you know, franchise something down, I feel like you're limiting. Yeah. So I feel that's important to look at and of course to have a strong philosophical, you know, basis in the training. And, and I also really believe that like yoga philosophy, you know, really getting to the heart of what yoga is, it can be taught in a way that is also very simple And for every day yeah it's not like um, it's not the super important that you know you learn all these Sanskrit um, terminologies or even you know some of these um, writings from ancient texts etc but that this philosophy is transmitted and delivered in a way that we can all understand and take it into our lives and for it to to work, to really enable us to make the change that it can do within ourselves. And so as a teacher that we can then also hopefully deliver it to students, the the philosophy, Um, so again that people can really have something usable, I guess the word I'm trying to say, usable and substantial, to make the change that we want it to change. You know, it's, I sometimes find that philosophical wise, you know, people sometimes say they're getting taught all this fancy stuff and then they sort of go out, but it's a bit like, hmm. You know?
1: It doesn't translate.
2: Yeah, yeah a bit like, what? okay, what do I do with all that? Okay, I sort of yeah. understand and that was very beautiful and, and all of that, but okay, here I am back here with my family and my work and no, no, So, So the interesting thing is, It is all about that, you know. It is to take it back into your life so, you know, we can be a better human being and we can evolve as a human being and we can um, definitely be an example and start to experience firsthand what it is to live more at peace and to be more present and awake on a daily basis. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, in terms of a training, having a foundation delivering this type of Um, knowledge and wisdom yeah clearly and simply and then all the tools that go with the yoga um, yeah to enable us to be able to go out there and teach the the masses because you know the world needs yoga the world's always needed it and it still needs it and you know I know there's other uh, you know paths out there that lead in the same direction but you know, yoga in my experience it's been around for thousands and thousands of years and it works. You know, the mm. and when I talk about yoga too, I'm I'm also including um Ayurveda in that because they're sister sciences and they go together because it's it's about life and living and, and the lifestyle. Um so it's yeah, it's all in there together. So they've been practiced for thousands of years and they work. You know, they're amazing. They really are, yeah.
1: I guess it's that uh, reframing for many people to appreciate that the yoga isn't what is mm, being defined by your yoga mat, so to speak. It's that how does it translate and continue into every living, breathing element, you know, of your life. Uh, And so given that you, I guess, have this background that pulls from different traditions and different paths or lineages of the yoga system, how do you how do you feel you honour tradition or, or how can we honour tradition? Because, I, I, you know, I can relate. Personally, my training, I pull from different paths and I don't identify with one particular style of yoga in terms of asana and whatnot. So when we take a step back and just, you know, hold all the teachings, how can we honour that yoga tradition in daily life?
2: Yeah. Uh, I guess when I think of, Honoring the tradition, you know, I, I can't help but my I've got like this one track mind, <laughs> and it's just like, you know, I go back to the source, I go back to truth as such, meaning, you know, even that saying, it's like, you know, Hari om tat sat. I am the truth, you know, I am that, I am that which is everywhere, which is omnipresent, there's nothing but that, you know, that is God, that is love, that is everything. So, that is my honoring. You know that is my honor in all the traditions because no matter whether it was this tradition or that tradition, or whether it's Advaita or whether it's Samkhya whether it's any of these particular um, paths, there's nothing but the one essence in that, and and there's many things in tradition, and to, if we were to isolate what the word tradition means. Um, as I very simply, as I understand it, sometimes it's, you know, it can be simply that something that has been, you know, practiced over a long period of time. Yeah. And so, as we know, there's some things that might have been practiced for a long period of time, but it might not be useful or beneficial or practice that way anymore. Yeah. So of course, not all traditions are something that may be, um, we need to honor and sometimes i feel that um we can get caught up in a, a thing that we should be honoring all tradition just because the fact that it was practiced a thousand years ago but you know maybe that wasn't a good choice and now we realize actually wow you know this uh, this we should you know this is a much more optimum way yeah but the tradition that i really honor and i relate to again is that which has never been anything but that, <laughs> yeah. And and all of you know, in terms of maybe spiritual traditions, you will find it in all of those traditions, no matter of the the tools or the rituals that may be you know um, performed around that. But it's it's just simply going to that source. So I honor that with yeah, with everything. That's that's uh, yeah, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, and that's devotion. Yeah. Oh,
1: okay. So let me take that <laughs> word there. Let's take devotion because I was going to ask you next. Um, <clears throat> similarly, but not the same, let's talk a little bit about ritual. Um, you know, and, and that was sort of if you take it in a very physical, literal um, context with respect to, say, uh, doing Homa or Agnihotra, etc. cetera, uh, you know how can we, or how do you, or how can we invite that element of ritual into our world? Which is, you know, it's so special. You're in Bali, so you probably feel that that's always present and around you. Um, but with respect to your experience and whatnot, because uh, I, I feel that that element is almost lacking for uh, most people in the yoga community. Yet it brings just like so much beauty and, as you said, devotion into the path. So can you speak to that a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So for me the the whole like idea of ritual is again it's to bring the person performing the ritual to a place of absolute presence and intention yeah so we're performing you know whatever it is and it's to be absolutely 100% with that so within the ritual, there's usually that, that element of devotion. Yeah. So it's like an, an outpouring of, of like love and, um, devotion to what, whatever that is that we're we're making this offering to. Yeah. Yeah. So with our heart open, with our mind focused. Yeah. So we've got a concentration, we have an intention, we have, uh, uh, our absolute 100% state of presence. So so this is ritual, yeah? And so when we think of what those elements are, we realise that we can make also anything a ritual also. And, I, and when I say that, I, I don't want to water it all down because there's, there's some very beautiful and specific rituals in different tra- traditions, yeah? And I see it, as you said, I see it here all the time in Bali, which still just blows me away with the beauty here and in fact um it's tuesday today and tomorrow um is a very big ceremony in bali and they have it twice a year and it's called Galongang. yeah and there's Galongang then kuningang a week later and so tomorrow they're having this um ceremony and the things that they're doing everyone's preparing and they're making offerings and they're making these incredibly beautiful um it's called a, a pendor pendor and and they have it you put it outside of your house and it's this huge thing that it's like this big flag type thing but of course it's made of bamboo and made of rattan and all these incredible you know natural things but yeah so they in some of these traditions like in india and bali they have these incredibly um yeah, sophisticated and intricate, you know, rituals that they're doing and doing continually on a daily basis and then on a yearly basis. Yeah. So there's a so much beauty in that. And they all have their specific meanings that go with it. But again, in terms of what the whole uh, purpose of a ritual is, it's important that we understand what that is and that we give it our full. Yeah. And it could be simply that, you know, you have, a a ritual every afternoon of of going and sitting in your garden you know and it's something that maybe that you give yourself just you know 15 minutes that you're sitting in nature and able to you know just observe the you know the flora and the fauna and um yeah have that in absolute presence you know so Anything and everything can be a ritual. And some people who also start yoga, they don't feel so comfortable with some of the more traditional yogic, um, you know, rituals that that we might have for, you know, different deities or even like the Agni Hocha, even some of it might be a bit like, ah, but you can do, you know, people can do their own ritual. Yeah. As again, with, with that same intention. So that's what it is for me. And um, as much as I might do some traditional type of ritual, but I definitely try and bring in um, my own ritual, you know, the things that, uh, yeah, bring out that love and that devotion and reminder. It's uh, another opportunity when you do that ritual to, to be present to life and to be absolutely there. So it's, again, you, you are in a state of connection. And not a state of disconnection. Mm.
1: So it's ultimately presence and intention that really is the the foundation of ritual. You know, it could be some absolutely. beautiful simple puja or even an elaborate puja, or it could be making a cup of tea. So it's that intent that you're bringing. Mm, I love yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Much. Preparing your food, even, you know. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Um, which, well, that would be certainly a very Ayurvedic thing uh, for sure. Yes. But um, I would love to ask you a few personal questions, a little fun, fun questions. So uh, what does life living in alignment look or feel like to you personally?
2: I guess, again, uh, all of these, so many of these uh, things, this subject that we're talking about, it's like a mandala. <laughs> <laughs> As in they're all connected, yeah? They're all connected. But, again, I guess I come come back to for me to be in alignment is for me to have an understanding of what my needs are for my optimum well-being of mind and body, yeah? Which, again, comes down, again, to to the purpose of of yoga. Yeah. So, and that understanding is self-understanding and I get that self-understanding through my balanced lifestyle, which again is the yoga and, and Ayurveda together. So being in alignment or allowing myself to maintain alignment, maintaining a sense of being connected and not disconnected. And these days it's very easy to get disconnected and to go out of alignment. Yeah. So is it, so what can I do? It's like, my, my questions to myself always and reminders to myself, you know, reminding it's like, what can I do? How do I live my life, you know, to maintain that alignment, you know, that balance, that well being, that optimum well being, you know? And so, you know, so it starts with, you know, of course, you know, going to bed early, waking up early that I get enough sleep, you know? So, of course, I'm going into all these Ayurvedic principles, waking up at the, um, early hour where I can get up and then I, I do the things that start my day and allow myself to you know, be bright and alert and, and ready for the day. And um, I don't think I'll take up the time in going through all those little things because I'm sure you've had many um, talks and discussions on an Ayurvedic level of what all these little daily routines can be. But that's, that's what I do to stay in alignment, you know, my daily practice, you know, my eating habits, my sleeping habits, um, the constant reminders, um, you know, by, you know, doing a, my, my a daily ritual or reading of certain books, um, the way that I prepare my food, my work schedule, um, so many things. It's a constant <laughs> um, it's a constant mindful li- You know, daily life, constant mindful daily life of, you know, as things are presenting themselves to me, you know, it, that I'm able to maintain a, s- a state of connectedness and, and presence. And so this keeps me aligned. Yeah. It's when I, you know, if I'm doing too much and so I get, you know, stressed or, you know, if something... Um, takes me off balance that i i start worrying about something and my mind starts to get very busy and preoccupied and involved with with something then i straight away i'm i get taken off yeah so staying in alignment basically means to me with understanding my own needs which may sound very simple but again this is also a found foundation of you know self-realization and self-understanding because of course we all have basic needs um you know food shelter etc but what are your needs you know what are my needs and my needs and your needs would be very different and we can't look out in the world and and think that you know our needs are the same we are We are so different in our mind-body makeup and in terms of that understanding comes very clearly in the Ayurveda and yoga teachings to really understand specifically what are my needs. Yeah. And that's why when it comes to, we cannot have any judgment, you know, for anybody else because how can we judge what someone else is doing when we have no idea what their needs are? We only, we need to focus on what our needs are. And if we can look after ourself, and to me, this is the most important thing that any individual can do on the planet is getting their home in order, get your own home in order. And when you, I mean your own home, I'm talking about self, you know, get this in order. If we can get this in order, if we can stay connected, if we can stay in alignment, this is your biggest contribution to Humanity to help the collective consciousness, yeah, is to to be able to contribute that little bit of peace to the cosmos, because you individually have got your own home in order. Don't worry about anybody else's home, you know. Get your own home in order. Sure, we can support and and share and care for others, um, but we must do that, yeah, with ourselves, because yeah it's this is where the world goes crazy you know it's um people have got become disconnected and yeah and let so many things yeah
1: this is where ayurveda brings us back to the self you know um everything's so simple in ayurveda and in human nature we tend to just overlook it overlook all the simple things and tend to look outwardly Okay, what's going to fix the problem, you know? Absolutely, yes. It seems we think it's easier to to look outwardly and to seek outwardly or to blame outwardly rather than turn to oneself and really, really, really. And and it can be hard, I guess, in certain circumstances for people because of conditioning, of course, and that's hard to sort of see. But I suppose that's where the yoga practices come in to just unravel that. In a way,
2: absolutely, and it's. it's I look at it also there, it's a reminder like you know, Ayurveda and yoga has been around for a long time, but it's not like it's something new that is if like we don't know this, but we've forgotten, yeah. So it's constantly reminding us, you know, by again going back into it, but it's you know, simply being aligned with, with nature, you know, because we've unfortunately in the modern world we're, we're disconnected. Mm. Uh, yeah, so these are these are reminders for us you know to yeah to stay connected, and it's not like it's it's something new, really, but um yeah,
1: I guess there's a there's a human tendency to think that we're superior to nature, which is totally ludicrous because when the human race is wiped out <laughs> the earth will still it be here. It goes on.
2: <laughs> yeah. It goes on,
1: life goes on. And it maybe it'll look a, little, a yeah. little different. But, you know, um, there's that humbling, you know, that, you know, is experienced when we can be very connected to the richness of um, these really ancient systems as we unpack them. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. It always reminds me, I, you know, you talked about before about, you know, on the mat or off the mat. And, and you know, we sometimes use this word of, oh, I practice yoga, you know. And it's like, I practice. It's like, okay, well, when you really look at that, you know, vocabulary, what's that saying? It's like, Oh, I'm practice. Well, what are you practicing for? (laughs) You know? So, you know, we're practicing for something. Yeah. And, you know, we're doing this practice. Yes. To practice and to remind us remind ourselves of that, which we're talking about now, you Mm. know, of coming back. And yes, that's why, that's why we do it, you know, but but that practice on the mat is sim- simply the practice yeah, yeah some people yeah. say it's it's not the yoga yet you know what i mean as such yes 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 yeah. i'm practicing
1: for when i can get there and do it and it's like well the yoga is now yes it's right now it's here it's now you know yeah it's interesting yeah. the language um i want to have a few more short sharp little questions for you yeah. uh what would be your favorite sound oh as the
2: roosters crow in the background <laughs> yes anything in nature like just as you said that yes I could hear that and it's like I could hear the leaves here because we've got this big I don't know if I can you can see it there <gasps> but yep. it's just like you know the big leaves rustling and just anything mm. from nature I'm mm. I just get blown away with nature every day and it's my you know yeah, it's my everything, I love it. So it's just like, yeah, the sound, I can hear the birds a lot here. There's so any sounds in nature, I would say. Mm, yeah. Medicine. Yeah.
1: What's your favorite place? And it doesn't have to be geographical, but it can be. However you want to interpret that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I guess you just answered it by saying that then. Is <laughs> uh which I have to say again, the subject of all subjects this is what we've been talking about. The my most- favourite place, what could not be your favourite place, but to be absolutely here. And there's nothing more profound and more beautiful and more than that because when you are absolutely here fully, you can then be anywhere and everywhere and that will be beautiful, you know, Uh, absolutely that.
1: Mm.
2: So what would be your daily
1: one daily non-negotiable sure there's many but
2: uh I guess my my daily non-negotiable is my practice I guess yeah um I probably have so many because I don't I don't really think about it it's just a you know natural n- a natural yeah daily thing <laughs>
1: which is so wonderful
2: um, yeah So, yeah, it's it's having that and that, yeah, daily practice, I would say. It's a really, um, it's just, you know, giving myself that time, which is very, yeah, it's very sacred. It's very special. And whether it's short or whether it's long, it's just, yeah, I've given that time to myself. Even if I'm going to have a busy day, I can give myself that.
1: What's your favourite go-to meal or food?
2: I'm a savoury person, meaning I'm mm. more to the salty, not the sweet. Um, and I guess these days I, liked, I like to eat. I mean, in some ways I'm a foodie. I mean, I love food. <laughs> and at the same time, I like to also eat very simply. Um, so actually... You know, I really love simply steaming vegetables, all different vegetables, and recently um, asparagus. They were getting lots of nice fresh asparagus here and beets, beetroot, and just steaming them and just olive oil and lemon juice um, with a little bit of salt. That was something that I so could simple, eat every so day. Good.
1: Yeah, Beautiful. Yum. All right. What are you curious about right now?
2: ah that's curious is the right word but what I get very I get curious is in there I have lots of things that um I'm interested in (laughs) and in meaning like all things sort of like natural and like things like you know, doing a little bit of gardening and so, you know, like planting herbs and planting vegetables and so curious about, you know, what plants like to go with what and, and of course all the incredible medicinal value of herbs and making up herbal concoctions and making up herbal creams and um, doing like all those things that somehow either nature is giving or has given or around. I just... I cannot get enough of it and I have to be careful because it can be a little bit of a, even something, that thing of something that can even so beautiful, but can put me out of alignment because I love, you know, I'm interested and curious about so many things in that arena that yeah, sometimes it can be, I just like to do too much basically. (laughs) which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, so... I'm sure there's
1: worse things that you could be doing too much of, though. Yeah,
2: sure. <gasps>
1: <Garden. laughs> Wonderful. So um, I know that it's been a bit of a weird and wild year, mm. uh, but let's just say in terms of normalcy coming back soon what have you got coming up in the pipeline with respect to like what's the general outline of trainings or anything, anything that you're doing what what does the future hold what's your intention anyway
2: yeah so for this year like most people we're sort of a little bit on hold um with a lot of our our regular courses and things yeah unfortunately everything sort of got cancelled for 2020 and um and I've also been very um, slow on the uptake for online. <laughs> um, it's still in the pipeline of, of getting there to do something online, which I'm really open to do. Um, but yeah, I'm a little bit old school, so it's just been a slow process. Um, but in terms of our face-to-face courses, we still have um, next year our level one in starting in June. And our level two in October here in Bali at our place here at the Shala Bali, and we also have a forty-hour um, continued education course, which is um, basically like a methodology course. It will include some Ayurveda and philosophy, but really focusing on um, asana methodology, yeah, for teaching. So that's a little 40-hour course for people that like short courses. So I think we're doing a couple of those next year and our level one, our level two, and we'll um, still need to confirm some dates. Normally we do at least one or two like holiday retreats here, but we're just waiting to see um, how that's looking in terms of the, yeah, the situation.
1: Yeah. And so as and when people can get back to Bali, when international travel opens up again, can you just explain, um, you know, where you guys are, how they can find you because you have an awesome cafe out the front as well <laughs> yeah. if people want to come and eat? Yeah, Do you want yeah, to speak yeah. a little bit to that?
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, so we have this beautiful place here in, in Ubud in Bali where we have it's a yoga retreat centre. So we have really lovely accommodation in nature, um, with a beautiful big yoga shala that looks over the rice paddies. We have our own little on-site treatment centre where you can get Ayurvedic and traditional like treatments and massages um, and plus two um, vegetarian cafes, one which is roadside which is called Mumbai Station which is a pure uh, Indian vegetarian, more like homestyle Indian cooking with masala doses and things. And... And again, we started that one simply because we love (laughs) um, the food. And so we basically, we have a simple menu, which has got also an Ayurvedic um, influence in our uh, dishes. Yeah, so we have that. And yeah, the the great thing about our place here in Ubud, where you can come and, you know, study and do yoga or just come and stay for that matter and enjoy um, beautiful Bali is that, We're immersed here in nature and like from the roadside, which is, it's only like very close to Ubud, like about a, like a three or four minute drive to Ubud. Um, At the same time, when you walk in, so it's a little walk into the place. So it's quiet. There's no cars or bikes. And once you get here, you could be anywhere. You're surrounded Mm. by nature. At the same time, you're still close to the Ubud center that if you want to go in and, you know, explore what's happening there in you know the, the Wood Centre in terms of there's a lot of cultural things, etc. Um, that's not far.
1: I do remember walking up and down you know the hill to get into town. But you, you're right, like coming into the space. I remember at nighttime like the fireflies were out over the yeah. rice fields. It was it's so magical. It's just, can people stay uh, with you guys, even if they're not on a training or a retreat, can they book accommodation or is it specifically as a retreat pro- package program?
2: Yeah, absolutely. They can come and they can stay and um, you know, they can, can stay and maybe just get treatments. And normally we also now have a little uh, st- yoga studio, like a second one above the little cafe in Mumbai, where normally, not right now because of the situation, but normally we have like everyday classes happening there too. So if you just want to come and do classes, get treatments or just come and holiday in Bali, yes, we have the accommodation just there. And as you said, it's, it's so much nature around. I, I just love it still every day because we walk regularly, you know, back and forth and, you know, there's, ducks and there's chickens and there's squirrels and yeah there's the fireflies and yeah so many uh little animals and yeah nature happenings all the time
1: so where's the best place uh for people to get more information so website or social media yeah where should they
2: go Um, i for the website here i think it's called just um www.thesharlabali.com yep so that should just show the place in terms of the courses and trainings that i do my website now is um it's changed recently it's www.yogaarts-om.com okay so it's yeah all lowercase yogaarts-om.com and that sort of also gives information about all the courses that um, I'm doing and happening here so yeah both of those websites I think
1: yeah, yeah and you guys are you have I mean you have Facebook I think and Instagram for both anyway there so. is
2: there's Facebook um for Instagram and Facebook for, for both of those probably the uh Facebook and Instagram for the Shalabali is a little bit more uh, regular and um for the yoga art um I think we're posting maybe a little bit more regular on Instagram now than the Facebook but yeah
1: I can I can link up all the details anyway so people can just click a button and it's all easy peasy so um but that's wonderful thank you so much I've it's been a real delight to have your wisdom coming through my computer screen (laughs) which is kind of funny in today's day and age in the sense of COVID, but um, it's been a real blessing to be able to have these conversations and particularly have the time with you. It's, yeah, it's been so nice to see you and speak with you after so long. So thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you so much, Amy. It's been such a joy, such a pleasure, really. I enjoyed it so much and so lovely to see you. And it is, it blows me away. It's so amazing, you know, seeing the person there, you know, on the screen um, and somehow, yeah, it's, it, That's one good thing about this, um, (laughs) you know, whole internet and thing that that we can have this and it's still possible.
1: Yeah. Mm. One of the many silver linings, really. Yeah.
0: If this episode was of value to you and your life, please subscribe. And if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue, please do them a favour and send it their way. If you feel called, hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community. To those who need it most. You can find me at amielandry.com or over on Instagram at amyelandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in alignment.